All right, take your Bible, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. This is the great chapter, the great resurrection chapter. And uh, there are other things in the chapter, though. And I want to give attention to just a few of those. And I want to build it around verse 57. Right at the end of the chapter, verse 57. Which just very plainly says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever we say thanks be to God, we could pause there and do as you all have done already a good bunch this morning. In thanking God for what you did together yesterday and uh, for the generosity of so many people to be a part of that. And, uh, and not just the fact that you've done it, but what it will do because of what you've done. And, uh, and we can rejoice in all kinds of things. On the way down here yesterday, <laughs> how many times Betty, Betty and I were rehearsing this, that, and the other things of recent days, things of past days, uh, things dating way back. Uh, I mean, we, we were talking about a bunch of things yesterday, just thanking the Lord for His goodness to us over and over and over again. And very frankly, um, it's a pretty good way to live if you just learn to thank God for health and strength and all of the good things that come to you day by day. But this verse says we're to thank God who gives us the victory. Now, uh, as was so wonderfully done in the Sunday school class in here in the auditorium a little bit ago, uh, you know, all of us are sinners. And all of us are in trouble from the get-go because of that. But the Lord Jesus came from heaven to earth, died on the cross, arose from the grave, and provided a way to bail us out and get us out of the trouble. And when He did that, he I mean, what He did, He bought victory for us and snatched us out of the jaws of defeat and provided us victory. Now, interestingly enough, there are folks, and maybe even some of us, who have the victory, but we're not living in the victory as we should. And I think what he's talking about here when he says, thanks be to God, he's talking about what we're going to do now. He says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Sometimes, you know, we get terribly self-sufficient. It's very easy for us to just say, hey, I can do this, I can do that. Together we can do this, that, or the other. And self-sufficiency is a false economy. I mean, we can strut ourselves strong, act strong, and we may do a thing or two. But what happens when we start limping? What happens whenever our mind starts skipping a beat? What happens when our tickers start skipping a beat? Well, maybe we're not able to handle things so well anymore. So self-sufficiency is a false economy. Now, there's another, there's another economy that I'm going to call a satanic economy. Satan will promise you anything. He'll promise you everything. He'll do whatever he can to ensnare you to take off down the trail with him. And that's a fake economy. I mean, that is total fakery, phony. 
in every sense of the word, a sham. But there's a full economy too. And that's what the Lord provides. Whenever you and I take our bag of troubles, we take our hurts, our heartaches, all of, all of the things that pertain to life, we take all of that and we wrap it around what we found in the Bible and we let him wrap himself around us and begin to live in the victory circle where he wants us to be. I mean, you talk about a fullness of economy. There is a fullness about that. That is, uh, I mean, there's no way to replicate it other than that. Now, when, uh, when uh, Betty and I were early married, uh, early in the ministry, uh, I heard somebody say one day, well, everybody ought to have a life verse. A life verse. I didn't know what they were talking about at first, and then they explained it to me. And some of you have heard that. And basically the concept is pick out a verse and let it be the one that compels you and drives you and motivates you. Learn it, repeat it over and over again to yourself. I stumbled onto a verse in uh, Second Chronicles, chapter 26 and verse 5. A portion of that verse says about a young king, Uzziah. He was 16 years old when he took the throne. And the Bible says about him that as long as he sought the Lord... God made him to prosper. And for many, many years when I signed my name, I signed it with Second Chronicles 26.5. Now, I never took that verse to mean that I was going to have a full pocketbook. I never, I never took that word prosperity in that vein. I took it to mean that if I would follow the Lord, if I would stick with the Lord, do what the Lord has told me to do, that he would make his promises real to me and that he would provide all along the way. And, uh, and I, I claimed that verse. And it was my life verse. And then uh, a little bit later, Dr. John Rice, who was the founder of the sword of the Lord, uh, I, I came under his influence. And uh, he had a verse that he hammered on all the time, Psalm 126.6. And, uh, man, I listened to him and I said, oh, man, that ought to be my life verse. So I, I just picked me another one. Now, I didn't, I didn't desert the first one, but I, I said, hey, I got two life verses. That verse says, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And that just really motivated me to go after people and try to win people to Christ. And uh, really has been a strong motivating factor in my life. And then, as I got a little older... I discovered another verse. <laughs> so I have three life verses. The third of which is right here in this chapter, verse 58, that says, therefore. Now you say, what's it there for? He's just told us about the resurrection. He's just told us we ought to be grateful to God. He's just told us how we got the victory. And he says, therefore, my beloved brethren. Now let me help you there. You realize this Corinthian letter was written to a church that was off the rails? To a church that wasn't doing good? They were doing a lot of crazy things. They had really messed up badly. But you notice what he calls them? After 14 chapters of correcting them, he says, My beloved brethren, with all of the headaches and heartaches of that crowd, he said, they are brethren. They're born again. 
So please, first time one of our fellow Central Baptist folks Corinthianizes themselves and does something they shouldn't do. Let's don't throw them under the bus. They're still brethren. And they should still be beloved. All right? So he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So I've claimed those three verses as my life verses. And if I live long enough, I may, I may claim another one along the way. But, uh, but those are powerful, powerful passages to me. And I hope you'll find one or more for yourself. Now, when this passage tells me, verse 58, that I ought to always be abounding, I think that means when you're a teenager, that means whenever you're just getting a business started and you're working night and day, I think it means uh, whenever you're not feeling well. I think it means when you get older. All the time. Always, always abounding. You say, well, I, I guess you're going to always abound. You, you've probably, probably never had any... Well, now, wait a minute. Along the way, I've met Diotrephes several times. And Alexander the coppersmith. And Demas. You know, all those uh, bad eggs that are mentioned in the Bible. I mean, I've met all of them several times. And some of them, some of them have taken me down into a valley and in a case or two or three or four or five or six or more, those valleys got deep. But every single time, the Lord has pulled me through the valley and taken me to the mountain again. And that's what we're talking about, living the victory. You may, you may be knee deep, in the muck and mire of some valley in your life. But that's not the time to stop. It's not the time to quit. It's not the time to become a grouch. But instead, it's the time to keep looking up and keep believing God and claiming that victory that we have through the Lord Jesus. Now, several things, and I'll just hit these quickly here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, great resurrection chapter. But here's some things that it tells me. Verses 3 and 4 tell us that everything begins with the gospel. Everything. I've run across any number of times religious people who were not saved and they thought the religion they had was all they needed. Sometimes you run across somebody, oh, I'm a member of such and such a church. And uh, whatever you ask them, they go back, well, I got baptized when I was, you know, they, they turn here, they turn there, but you cannot get them to say because they don't know about the salvation the Lord offers. I mean, you can be a member of every church in town, be baptized in every one of them, still die and go to hell easily enough because none of that will save you. None of that will get you to heaven. But the Lord Jesus can. And whenever you and I receive the fact that He died on the cross and arose from the grave, and thus paid our sin debt, and thus purchased salvation for us. And whenever you and I are willing to receive that like a free gift, and we're willing to trust what He did, He says He'll forgive us our sin, admit us to the family of God, and reserve a place for us in heaven when we die. And I'm telling you guys, gals, everything begins with that blessed piece of good news. Everything. Now, if you drop down in the chapter to verse 10, 
Verse 10, he tells us, notice it, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Remember who wrote this? A guy named Paul. Well, Paul was initially named Saul. And he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a persecutor of Christians. In fact, he was a murderer. Consented to the death of Stephen. And yet, <laughs> there was a day when it all dawned on him and his life changed. Acts chapter 9 tells that story. And here he is. I mean, a lot of people know his background. They know who he is. But what, he, what he's telling us is, I am now what I am by the grace of God. You know, not rocket science, but listen. Everybody's got a past. Everybody has a past. And some of the past is worse than others. Some of it's not good at all. But the fact is that we can become what we ought to become not because we are so bright, not because we are so macho, not because we are so muscled up with money, but it's because of the grace and the goodness of God. You see, when God saves us, and by the way, whatever the past is, He, he wants to save you right now. And you say, but I've got to clean all this stuff up. Get saved first. You'll never get it done until you come to Christ. And then what he's telling us here in verse 10 is we become what we ought to become after we're saved because God is still good to us. He's still gracious with us. He's patient with us. He'll help us to clean it up. I mean, over the years, I mean, I mean we've seen mafia members. We've seen drunks and dope at, I mean, every kind of an imaginable thing. People with track records where they've been in prison for 30 or 40 years and see them live out the rest of their days clean, happy, serving the Lord. Simply because God is God and He's able to do for any one of us whatever the past. And He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. So, you get saved. Well, you say, i got things I need to... Hey, listen, just give the Lord some time to put it together and work in your life. Put your feet under the table every time the church house doors are open and learn the things and the ways of the Lord and just listen to what He tells you and you're going to be good. Now, drop down to verse 19. He says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. You know what He's telling us there? It ain't over when it's over. When, the, when, the, when death knocks at your door, you're not done. I helped to bury a good friend on Friday. Precious man of God. Man that I love dearly. Been a friend with him for more than 40 years. And, uh, you know, I stood at that grave site. And very frankly, I, I would have been glad to have been anywhere else except there. But I could say to him, say about him. He's not done. He just moved out of that old body. Living in heaven. There's more beyond the veil of tears. Beyond death. You drop down to verse 22. Let's see, 22 and he... No, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm looking forward. Verse, verse 28. Talks about all things being subdued by him. You say, who has the authority to do such things? He tells us in that passage, he has full authority to make it happen. 
You drop down to verse 34 and he says, Awake to righteousness and sin not. Some have not the knowledge of God. And he said to that Corinthian church, I speak this to your shame. You know, more and more people right here in the U.S. have no clue. The Saturdays that my travel schedule will allow me to do it, I do still travel a good bit. And, uh, but the Saturdays that I can do it, I go soul winning with our church there in town, Murfreesboro. And uh, we knock on doors in our city, and our city of Murfreesboro is 165,000 and growing at the rate of 100 new people a week for more than 12 years, that growth rate. University there with about 25,000 students. We knock on doors and we're finding all kinds of people who are totally clueless. Just like this verse said, they don't have the knowledge of God. One recent Saturday, first three doors we knocked on. People from London, England, from Guatemala, and from Egypt. And by and large, in all three cases, clueless when we brought up the subject, they, they didn't know what we were talking about. Now, he tells us it's our responsibility to do something right here in our Jerusalem. And, uh, and we, we need to, listen, America, we say sometimes, is going to hell in a handbasket. Listen, I thank God for people who are out on the streets doing all kinds of things to help. But the fact is, the help that America needs is the regenerating, saving power of Almighty God. You get people saved, they won't be doing drive-by shootings. They won't be flying airplanes into buildings. They, they won't be mistreating their children. Get them saved, get them under the word, they'll shape up. And uh, so, you and I have a job to do, and we need to wake up to that. Now, look down at verse 52. He says, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That grave we filled up on Friday and hundreds of others in that same cemetery. People are born again. When the trumpet of heaven sounds, those graves will burst wide open. And those bodies will be resurrected. You say, how do you know that? It's in the book. God said it. We're counting on it. We believe it. We're hanging tough on it. Just, just believing what God has said. And we get down to the bottom line here in verse 58, and he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. That word, if you look up the, the etymology of the word, it just means to get seated properly. Get yourself positioned right. Don't sign on to some crooked theology, but get positioned right doctrinally. Be steadfast in that. Know who you are. Know what you're about. Get yourself anchored in the Word of God. And then he says, be unmovable. Some ill wind comes blowing. Don't let it blow you off course. You know. And by the way, most people, most people who get discouraged and they get down and they stop serving God like they should, most of the time it's not because of some tornadic style wind that came blowing through. A lot of times it's just because somebody with bad breath breathed on them a little bit. I mean, it doesn't take much in a lot of, with a lot of folks. And I'm just trying to get you to be strong. I'm just trying to get you to anchor yourself in like that says. And then whatever kind of wind comes blowing through, don't let it blow you off course. Don't run from the church. Run to it. Things go crazy. Don't hide from Dr. Bloom. 
Don't hide from me. Don't hide from your Christian friends. And then it says, always about me. That sounds like 24-7 to me. Sounds like 365 except leap year and we add a day. Always, always abounding in the work of the Lord. <laughs> I mean, always doing this fish fry stuff. Always doing all of this kind of stuff that's going to amount to something. Amen. Amen. And God being our helper, well, it just makes a tremendous difference. <coughs> what this passage is telling me my predecessor, the sword, Dr. Curtis Hudson, those three years that he was broken down with cancer and dying, he introduced a little song to us that you all all know by heart now, I'm sure. It's called, I'm on the winning side. Most of us have never heard of it, but it's famous now. And, uh, and you know, the fact of the matter is, whether you're 10 years old or 110, whether you got good health or bad health, you know, whether you're rich or poor, whatever the case, in the Lord Jesus, you are on the winning side. Amen. Devil lost when you came to Christ. He can't have you even if he wants you. The door to hell is shut and locked. You're not going there if you have Christ as your Savior. And the door to heaven is not only wide open to you, but the red carpet's out. And you'll get to go there one day if you have Christ as Savior. I'm telling you, being on the victory side and living the victory side, ha, pretty special. And I think we have every reason to be just absolutely, totally, wonderfully excited about all of it. Would you stand up with me and we'll pray.